This episode of our podcast is brought to you by Doolaban Insurance. If you live in Ontario, Canada, and are looking for the best price and coverage for your Tesla, give Doolaban a call at 1-855-385-4226 or visit their website at doolabaninsurance.com slash Tesla. Good evening, good day, no matter... Oh, that's a stupid intro. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to get it right. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Page. I'm joined by Eric Camacho and Ian Pavelko. How are you doing, guys? Aloha. Bonsoir tout le monde. There you go. There's the French in him. Um, you know what? This podcast is not going to be the usual Tesla news. We Ooh. have been wanting to talk about full self-driving, specifically about a really great PBS episode that aired back in October called Look Who's Driving. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't seen it, highly, highly recommend it. I'll put a link down in the uh, video podcast description so you guys can actually find a location if you can to try and watch this thing. Anyway, so that's the topic of tonight because it really deals with autonomous vehicles, full self-driving. Again, you know, Elon has said in the past recently that uh, they're hoping to get FSD on the Teslas to be feature complete by the end of the year. We're literally about three weeks, a little less than three weeks away by the end of the year. Anyways, I'm not hanging my hat on that timeline. But um, I thought it would be a good opportunity to actually get in here because we have delayed this discussion for a little time. So Eric has plentiful notes, so I'm going to let him take point on this, and then Ian and I can add our own color on this. So take it away, Eric. Thanks, Trevor. So um, so we got a lot of show notes here. Uh, what I'm going to do is kind of do a rundown of the show itself uh, in order of how things happened during the broadcast, and you guys can certainly interject uh, commentary and thoughts uh, throughout. So the special op- uh, aired on October 23rd of this year here in the U.S. Uh, and uh, on PBS stations, which is PBS is a wonderful support your local PBS stations if you can. Um, so the episode opened up, uh, reviewing the accident that happened. Oh, a very, on, Eric, I gotta stop you. I gotta stop you for one second. Remember, it's sponsored by David Koch's Science Foundation. Yes, <laughs> just that I put that in there. Yes, Carry on, sorry. <laughs> and PBS viewers like you, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> gonna love that tagline, <laughs> yeah. And not Patreon, know, but PBS, no, of course. And 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 they thank you. So the, the, the show opened up, um, on what was the first. Uh, known death. Uh, the woman was a 49-year-old Elaine Hertzberg. Uh, she was uh, walking her bicycle across a road uh, in Tempe, Arizona uh, at on March 18th, 2018 at 9.58 p.m. when there was a collision with a um, an autonomous vehicle. Uh, what it was, it was uh, Uber was testing uh, autonomous cars and there was a, a person in the driver's seat um, and I'll- Safety driver. A safety driver. Uh, so we'll, there's there's more on that accident later in the episode, but it opened with that talking about the accident uh, and how she was the first death uh, from an autonomous vehicle. Um, some statistic that really was op- eye opening, I think, at the start of the episode was that every day in the United States. So this is not a global figure just here in the U.S. There are roughly 100 fatal car crashes per day. Uh, which is a daunting number if you think about it. Um, nearly 75% of Americans surveyed uh, are afraid to ride, not drive, but to ride in a driverless car. Um, and I think a lot of that, when I when I first heard that statistic, I, I thought initially it's, it's just it's it's a lack of knowledge, it's it's a lack of understanding, but also I think a lot of companies don't have enough evidence to prove that these cars can be 100% safe. So it's understandable that that number, but I was surprised to hear how high it was. I knew it would be a pretty big number, but I think it would be 75%. Um, there was a number of different interviews uh, interjected all intertwined uh, in the episode. Um, each year, some seven, some 30, excuse me, some 35,000 people die in car crashes in the United States. It is uh, nearly all because of human error. So we keep that in mind. So we talk about why really fight for autonomy. It's in due part just because... Um, you know, humans are largely to blame. Uh, Robo taxi fleet reduces the number of cars on the roads. It reduces pollution and the need for um, for private cars, private owners. It also helps people with mobility issues. Uh, there was a segment in the in the special where they showed a blind person sitting in an autonomous car and how, for him, how uh, amazing that experience was. Um, now, some things to note here: there were a series of different interview candidates. Uh, Tesla was asked to be part of the special. They elected to not do that. Um, but some of the folks who were interviewed were professors at universities like Duke University, 
uh, MIT, Stanford, and others. Um, there were um, high executives from companies like Mobileye, Zooks, uh, Torque Robotics, and many others that are all in some way designing or have been part of uh, autonomous teams uh, in the collegiate level. Um, on average, there is one death for every 100 million miles of driving in an, in an, uh, an, an autonomous car. I'm sorry, that's, excuse me. Human drivers. That. Human drivers, I'm sorry. Human drivers, correct. Thank you for the correction. That means um, it's, uh, <laughs> you could actually get 3.4 million hours of driving, which is equivalent to 390 years. That's a lot. Um, uh, one of the interviews here uh, from Carnegie Mellon University, uh, Raj Rushkumar, had said uh, in his interview segment said that driving is the most complex activity for a human. Because there's just so much synaptic information coming in that your brain has to process in a very, very finite period of time. Um, there was a good part of the show I thought really helped get into just how far back autonomous vehicles were in motion. So in the year 2000, Congress asked uh, the Pentagon to develop vehicles for autonomous combat use. Two years later, the Pentagon then uh, had a research agency called DARPA. Uh, that announced the grand challenge, uh, which was to win a million dollars. Uh, this contest featured 13 vehicles that had to drive 142 miles autonomously. Uh, the uh, first challenge was an epic failure, as the farthest any one of the teams got was eight eight miles. miles. Eight <laughs> I remember, miles. I remember that result when it happened the live. Yeah, right. That was that's crazy. Uh, the following year, they upped the prize to $2 million. Uh, Stanford had a team uh, where uh, they had a car called Stanley that used uh, AI software, and Stanley won. It actually completed the, uh, the trek. Uh, two years later uh, after that, so four years after it started, uh, they did another contest, but this time with traffic. So not just, you know, a clear road, but actually having traffic to see how it can happen. They call it the Urban Challenge, uh, and that was one of the first times um, one of the teams introduced LiDAR, which we've talked about uh, in the early stages of Tesla's growth. Um, six of the 11 teams who competed in that urban challenge did complete the course. Um, and then after, uh, after that segment had aired, then they went back to the opening segment of the show and dove into more about the NTSB portion of the investigation of the crash that happened in Tempe. Um, during the investigation, the NTSB had found that the driver was not watching the road for nearly seven out of the 22 minutes prior to the crash, including five out of the last six seconds. Uh, she hit the brake after uh, she collided with the cyclist. Uh, systems detected that Elaine, the cyclist, um, uh, was detected six seconds before the crash. So as she's basically walking her bike across the street, the car uh, obviously detected it, but uh, neither the car nor the driver stopped. Um, and it didn't alert the driver because... In due part, that's the way the system was set up. And Uber also disabled, this was a Volvo, uh, Uber disabled the vehicle's emergency braking system because Uber wants to avoid jerky rides. So there were a number of different things um, that led to the crash for sure. Um, you know, obviously, and this is one of those things where it debates, you know, why was she crossing the road at night in a poorly lit area? Um, there were other different criteria there. I, for one, uh, somebody on Twitter had been asked that question after I linked the story. And I had said, I actually don't give any blame to Elaine personally. Um, to me, based on what I saw of the video uh, and of the investigation report that I read, she had ample time. She was fine. Uh, we oftentimes cross streets when we look both ways and see that there's no traffic coming. Uh, so I don't fault her. But um, yeah, it's, if, if you ever do get a, a chance to read that story and at least see the investigation report, I recommend it's you do that. Yeah, a certain amount of circumstances just kind of snowballed. Yeah. To the point where it was just kind of inevitable. She was mm -hmm. distracted. They disabled the, they didn't have a warning system to tell right. the driver there's something imminent. And right. of course, you know, as you said, they disabled the uh, automatic emergency braking yeah. systems. So. And, the, and the car decided to do an invasive maneuver 1.3 seconds before the crash, which is really little time to do anything to avoid the, uh, the accident. Yeah. At, at those speeds, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, after that, uh, there was a segment explaining uh, automation for some folks who didn't understand what levels one through five were. Uh, we've obviously talked about that quite a bit. Um, Tesla now is essentially like a two, three, uh, but four and five is really the icing on the cake. That's where you get into truly driverless cars. Um, then there was an MIT study 
where uh, they had a woman who uh, was behind a Volvo. She's someone who tends to like having always control of the car. Uh, so she was in a Volvo. Uh, and while uh, so she was driving in a way that a lot of Tesla drivers are recommended to drive, which is just have vigilance, hands on the wheel, uh, but not actually mainly trying to steer, just kind of pay attention. Uh, so she said she liked the experience of driving the car like that. Uh, but again, she, she didn't just, trust she it. Just really could not ever bear to take her hands off the wheel. Uh, then they featured a Model X owner, uh, a male driver who, uh, and they actually have uh, footage of this, but he's in his car driving completely hands-free for a great length of time, uh, like checking stuff on his phone. I mean, he might as well have just been, you know, shaving in the in the car for while he was doing. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was interesting to see those two different contrasts of drivers. Uh, one having a hundred percent full faith in the system, and one sort of uh, keeping her own vigilance because, again, she just likes having control of the car. Uh, then they led to uh, the conversations about Tesla. So there was a segment where they showed clips of Bloomberg's interview with uh, Elon Musk uh, some years ago. This is, these were not recent news clips with Bloomberg, uh, but there was uh, there were clips discussing what autopilot is. Uh, and then there were some disputes uh, with someone uh, named Peter Norton from the University of Virginia who um, was very critical of autopilot, uh, both in terms of name, its practical use, and things like that. Um, then there was uh, a segment showing YouTube videos of early adopters. Uh, in a way, again, showing that they had full faith and trust in autopilot, so they were largely hands-free. There were some that were fun videos of YouTubers who uh, you know, were doing like arts and crafts and all kinds of strange stuff. But again, those videos are on YouTube. You can always find those. And those are early uh, autopilot videos uh, as they were. Then it kind of uh, reared itself back into um, a tragedy. There was a YouTuber, uh, his name was Joshua Brown. And Josh Brown uh, had recently died at 39 years of age. Um, he was uh, driving down a strip of road in Florida, where a uh, long stretch of road, uh, where there's actually cross strips. Uh, so as you're, you know, trucks and stuff can make turns. Divided uh, lanes, yeah. Right, divided lanes. So he's, he's driving down the street, uh, had autopilot on. And for some reason, there was a, a semi-truck that was making a left-hand turn in the opposite direction, the opposite side of the street, uh, was making a left-hand turn, had to cross the median to then go across the way. So Joshua's far back. The truck is making its turn. Neither Joshua nor the vehicle slows down to avoid the impact, collides directly into uh, the rear bay of the truck, killed uh, instantly. Um, it was later discovered uh, after the investigation from the crash that uh, Joshua did not apply the brakes. Autopilot didn't really do anything in terms of applying it because as they found out, um, an autopilot was not to blame because the NTSB said autopilot detects traffic and other uh, certain uh, conditions in your flow, in your direction of traffic. It does not actually detect objects that are obviously cutting across and going in a different direction. So there was a... a I think ahead. it's important to note, sorry... To interrupt. Yeah. I think it's important to note that that crash happened in 2016. So this was an AP1 car, right. which was powered by Mobileye technology, not the current stuff. So mm -hmm. we have to be very careful about where the breakpoint is here, as far as you know, the tech today, as opposed to when it was. Sure. There, there's Carry also on. something else that wasn't covered in the show, um, but uh, I think bears important relationship to that crash is that the local police when they inspected the scene, discovered that there was some type of a tablet um, computer playing mm -hmm. a movie that I was running that. in the car. And I mean, you know, that's not 100% certain that the driver was watching that, but you could probably infer, infer that there's a very strong possibility that he was watching a movie instead of yeah, you know, they, watching they the road. It's in the video, he wasn't on his phone. Uh, you know, they could track the no. activity and, you know, he wasn't on his phone. So again, it could... It's hard he for us. He had to plenty of time to stop, though. However, if, yeah. correct. If he, you know, he, if he had any eyes on the road at all, you'd have to. Think yeah, they, they did. They did say that if he were to apply the brakes uh, once it was detected, he had ample distance in ten that. seconds. So yeah. there, there's just no way he could have been looking at the road. Yeah. Anyways, so so cover that for a bit, uh, and then there was uh, Tesla again did not choose to participate, uh, but it did indicate that Tesla is always improving autopilot and asserts that autopilot drivers have fewer accidents as a whole, which we know is true. We know, you know, especially now that they're putting out the reports every year, uh, that there are certainly fewer and fewer accidents. Even the Q, you know, all the quarterly report calls do uh, 
put that out there. So a question that they asked was, uh, does autonomous vehicles create a false sense of security, which I thought was a kind of a really probing conversation. And I, I figured we can delve into that if we elect to, but they get, they get into after that, um, a segment that explains uh, the various complications of why autonomy is so hard. And, and one uh, analyst said that cars have to do three things to be autonomous. And, and essentially, this is replicating what we as humans are able to do. Exactly. So the first thing is seeing everything around the car. So going back to the crash with Josh Brown, he, you know, that early version of, of the vehicle, which I think he had a Model S, it was a Model yes, S. Yes, um, Model S. Yeah, so his, you know, that version of the car had didn't have as many cameras and didn't have full usage of the computer the way that our cars today do. So given that in mind, that's obviously, we're seeing improvements in that over time, is being able to have the computer get a 360 view of what's happening around you. Task number two is then to understand what it is that it's seen. And um, a part that they go into sort of back and forth and explaining all this, and they did a good job of it, I thought, in the documentary, is showing these various companies with demonstrations of both in the car and looking at all kinds of different footage of just drives that they made in their localities is going, even the tiniest of things, like uh, a stop sign at a different angle, or they had one good example of when they were driving through this area where there was a gentleman delivering food, but he had a box like on his shoulder. And he had so, a turban. Right. So we recognize it's a person. But how does yeah. it like so cars have to learn every kind of image of like what a cat looks like. Every kind so it's it's like teaching a computer to learn what we as humans have developed over the course of you know decades of, of new knowledge. So that that I thought was pretty uh, impressive. And the third task is determining the path and then controlling the vehicle to actually then take that path. Uh, so we now see a good example of that with Smart Summon, where, you know, a car can be in a certain spot. You know, now the car is looking at the geography of the parking lot. You know, where's a good place to go? Is this an actual paved road? Is it a sidewalk? Is it a, you know, a grassy area? So that's things that we're seeing even with that, how, how hard it really, really is. So after that, um, a gentleman was, uh, we, we were told that machine learning, uh, nowadays in 2019 is about 90% accurate. But as they've said, that's not nearly good enough. Uh, it's only training data where you're saying that accuracy It's not real world, actual driving by a car data. Um, so the real world results could actually be even worse than that 98%. Um, edge cases, uh, which they talk about uh, ad nauseum uh, in the document uh, or in the documentary uh, can give computers issues. For example, what is an umbrella? was one of the examples we asked. An umbrella that's open or closed, I mean, how does that affect, obviously, what the car interprets? If, if the car has never seen it before, it's never been tagged properly. Yeah, mm -hmm. and only that, there are different colors, different sizes, different styles. Is there a pattern? Is it solid? So, again, all of that's are ones and zeros to a computer, but it's trying to teach them what those are by uh, default. So, it may, it's basically like you're, like you're building a Google's data bank every time you're going for a drive, which is insane. Um then they demonstrated uh, there was uh, some test cases out in California uh, with the folks of Waymo. Uh, they demonstrated how to, uh, a car was backing out of a driveway and then approaching a pinch point. Uh, so they were showing like different speeds, like how fast is the car back out? Is it going out slowly? Is it jutting out really quickly? Does it? So all these different scenarios of what you could experience uh, on the road and then how the car handles each of those different tests. Um, merging into traffic. Uh, they actually did an interview right along with the folks of Mobileye. And they were saying, merging in the traffic is about negotiation. I'm going to turn here. You're going to go there. We're going to speed up and slow down. So how does a car handle that differently than a person? Uh, that was a, a good video there. Um, then they had a, a, Th a Thunder Hill Raceway, a team from Stanford, tested a DeLorean motor car. DeLorean. <laughs> uh, and they were just essentially doing like almost like infinity circles, uh, a figure eight. They were drifting. The computer, yeah. was, the computer was driving the car, and it was yeah. drifting. Yeah, it yeah. was awesome. And they and they had the cones set up, and you just see the car going and going and going. It was, yeah. if you if you even get like a snapshot of that somewhere, that's a it's a pretty cool clip. Um, autonomy would be made easier. This is something I I wrote down that I thought was pretty cool. Autonomy would be made easier if there were no rule breakers, like that's I mean right. people. Uh, but of course, there always will be. Um, so that's kind of the gist of the entire thing. Uh, I'm, I didn't want to get into all the different interviews they had. Uh, there was obviously some supporters of autonomy. There were some that were very critical of autonomy. Uh, but the, it, was a, it was a fantastic 50-some-odd-minute episode. Uh, you can also get the DVD, which, of course, helps support PBS and all the good work those folks are doing. So that's the show in its summary. 
So let's uh, let's go ahead and discuss autonomous vehicles. Well, uh, the first thing that struck me is that I was really hugely disappointed that Tesla decided not to participate. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I felt that they bashed on him a little too much about the accident thing. Like they spent a little inordinate amount of time talking about autopilot accident well i don't so much mind that but what bothers me is because tesla wasn't there they weren't able to bring um to light the fact that how many thousands of accidents have been avoided because of autopilot i mean we see videos every day of people showing us incredible i mean i actually have a clip that i saved from my trip um down to bethel new york when i went to see the woodstock site and uh, i never shared that with you guys but i mean there's a deer that ran across the road and i felt the braking come on and I actually saved that clip. You know, that's just one small one. Now, I don't think I would have hit it, but it must would have been awfully close if the car didn't start braking before I did. Mm-hmm. And how many videos have we seen out there on Twitter and YouTube of people and semis moving in and the car moving over? So, yeah, the fact that the, the we know that there's been definitely injuries in live save because of the technology and that wasn't allowed to be shared because Tesla didn't want to come in and, and, and bring that. What's interesting, though, is I wonder if they weren't sort of at odds with some of the participants already in the show. Like, we know that they had a big falling out with Mobileye, who were featured prominently. And one thing that I found interesting, a little background research on some of the other players, Zooks, which is like one of the newer ones operating out of San Francisco, uh, apparently has several ex-Tesla employees uh, now on their uh, on their roster, and uh, Tesla filed litigation against them this spring. I think in March or April, they filed a lawsuit against them for um, proprietary information or something that these employees brought to them. So I don't know if there's some other angle why they didn't want to participate. Yeah, Still disappointing. The other thing that bummed me out is one of the people who's who's an absolute superstar in the field uh, from MIT is uh, Lex Fridman. And they had all kinds of other people there. How the hell is Lex, who is the man when it comes to automation and everything about it, um, about um, you know autonomous driving, how is he not on the show? Like that just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. I really yeah. don't understand. Uh, so those are those are some of the big um, takeaways for me anyway. Well, I think at the end of the day, if they were to do a proper documentary on this, we'd end up with the Englishman type of, you know, three and a half hour long documentary. And I don't think the Irishman have the, yeah, the Irishman. What did I say? Anyway, the the close <laughs> enough. People from the UK they... now flaming us. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I don't think anybody told Scorsese to cut it back a little bit. But anyways, um, yeah, I think if they were to get all the right players in place, you'd end up with a really long, and you would end up sure. with a different product. I mean, you know, in most of these cases, these types of things only end up having to be one hour long, so they have to kind of pick and choose. But yes, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm disappointed that Tesla didn't actively participate in this, and again, we don't know what the angle is behind the scenes. Um, even though it's a 2019 documentary, and they do make several references to things that have happened in 2019, um, there's a big gaping hole in that narrative which is what tesla drop on the world back in april of this year yeah. with their uh, autonomy investor day and it's and it's something that popped into my head today and i was thinking about it because there's something that i that just popped in my head today and i and and i have to talk about it here for a second because i don't think anybody's voiced it i, I haven't seen anybody voice this on the internet now i'm probably not the only one that's thought of this, but nobody's actually said it out loud. So it has to do with timing. And what I'm getting at here is, remember back in March of this year when Tesla made the changes to autopilot, right? There was a lot of brouhaha. They not only reorganized what features fall into what camp. Remember, we used to have enhanced autopilot, and then they sold FSD. Mm-hmm. And then in March um, first, they switched it so that every car came with enhanced autopilot which is two parts traffic aware cruise control and auto steer everything else fell into the fsd camp so the first part you got for free although there was a little bit of a price bump in the car price Um, but i think what's happening here in light of what happened at the same time as well as what happened the very next month is that people were focusing on the wrong thing people were focusing on the price aspect and how it affected them and i get that but if you go back in time, now that we have 2020 vision, we can actually go back. That very same month in March, the S and the X got the new Hardware 3 computer. And in April, they started shipping Model 3s with that computer. Now, in April, they also had the full self-driving um, 
investor day, as you want to call it, where Tesla laid out all the cards on the table. Now, if you put this into sequence and you look at it, remember, this whole thing is under the safety umbrella. This is, you know, that's the whole context of this, this documentary here is safety. And we know that Tesla is pushing autopilot as far as safety is concerned. So if you, if you look back and, and, and you read between the lines here, the changes with the autopilot um, uh, re-rigging the, uh, the feature set, in addition of the Autopilot 3 and the fact that Andre Kaparthi got on stage and said, we need data for edge cases, it makes it patently clear that all of this was on purpose. They wanted to make sure that all the cars going forward from that point had this new computer in it so that they could, and, and all the cars had auto steer because that's the important disengagement data that they need. And the fact that the whole fleet is connected together um, with the with the auto data, so that they can gather these disengagements, so they can get those edge cases. So, you know, like I said, when you go back in time and you look at you know the whole brouhaha over the autopilot thing, if you it, you know now that the smoke is cleared, it makes perfect sense why Tesla did that. And I think that's the underlying thing that's what's going on here, is the the, the switch over for, uh, for autopilot and all the cars especially was to deal with this edge case situation that they made a big deal about in the um, in the documentary. So anyways, I don't think anybody's voiced that aspect yet, but mm -hmm. there it is. I think it's painfully obvious now to see exactly what went down, despite, I mean, the disruption that happened. Sure. But I think that's exactly what's happened. Fine Lab has a line of protective coatings that were engineered to protect your Tesla's paint, leather, carpet, plastic, and wheels, effectively blocking all those UV rays and environmental factors before they ever get to ruin your brand new baby. Fine Lab offers a complete line of car care products and ceramic coatings for both the do-it-yourselfer and professional detailers. Did we mention we also have the world's first self-healing coating? Check us out at finelab.com, that's spelled F-E-Y-N-L-A-B, to see the science behind the self-healing. Check out our product catalog and click contact us for a free quote from a certified installer in your area. Fine Lab and Tesla, we were meant for each other. My, my take on the documentary, uh, to kind of pick it back on what Ian was saying, I, I have a very different take on it. Uh, not that I disagree with anything Ian said. I, I just have a, a different perspective. Um, I think the, the special focus on two components of, of autonomous vehicles. Uh, and I know that Tesla was sort of sandwiched in between all of it, which is why it is a focal point, especially for our show. But I look at it, I think there was two things. One is, how do we explain what autonomous vehicles are? And what, how are we pacing it with that technology? Uh, because ideally, the the lack of knowledge from the novice vehicle driver is that they hear it and they, you know, maybe they associate Tesla, maybe they don't. Um, but the idea of just saying a driverless car for a lot of folks just kind of wigs them out. That's the wrong term to use. Correct. So, but, it, but it, you know, we, but there are those who will argue that autopilot itself is also the wrong term to use, you know. So, so we, there's, there's obviously been a lot of uh, words written about that very topic. Um, but to that end, I believe that, um, I believe that the, the special focus on those, on those two key things. And so it starts off with showing you in such an outlier case and that being the first crash involving uh, a, a death with an autonomous car, you know, it sort of sets now the tone of, well, this is the challenge we're faced is what do we do with that? Um, because it, it probes a good question. If there is an accident with an autonomous, with let's say there's two autonomous cars, and they're in a crash, who's at fault? How's insurance handled? So those, so those are kind of things that were sort of as, the ethics of the whole thing, right? right? So there's a lot, there's a lot of questions about that. So to start off with that, and then dive into, you know, the challenges that people have had trying to get autonomous vehicles started. I mean, the DARPA experiment, you know, when they showed the video clips of that, it's cool to watch it. Um, but again, th that's in 2000. We're talking 20 years ago when that started, but the technology didn't start then. Obviously that was already in development for a while, um, but the ultimate goal is to save lives, right? That's the, that's the preeminent conversation here that it's about safety. So the idea that there wasn't such a clarification that Tesla has made advances in this while also addressing you know, this other thing. Um, you know, I don't think any single company ever came out of that. Like did Uber come out looking good? No, uh, to me, Uber looked far worse with the True. entire episode than I think Tesla did. Um, I think what they did with Tesla, and, and I think it was done tastefully in my in my opinion, is they just presented 
storied cases of, of incidents that were involved with the technology. Yes, they were dated. Um, yes, there's been advances since then. But I think it's more about the early, the infancy issues that were uh, that had occurred as a result of these autonomous systems, these autonomous programs. Um, and then, you know, the challenges of what's to come. The, you know, go, going into the episode later on and talking about the outlier, those test cases, the weird things computers have to learn. Tesla is still doing it now. I mean, every time you mention now about when there's a disengagement with the, the steering, when, when that happens, that data gets sent to Tesla. And then someone's reviewing the data to find out why did that happen. I've had a number of disengagements, uh, heck, this past seven days, uh, because there's some weird thing where my vehicle is not staying in lane correctly because the lines aren't par- are painted right. Uh, a vehicle cuts me off all of a sudden. Um, I find that I can control the deceleration more smoothly if I'm driving and easing off with one pedal acceleration versus the car doing it on autopilot. So there's a number of different scenarios there. So all of that is stuff that they're learning, um, but yeah. To make it short, I, I just I don't I don't think it Tesla came off as bad as we might be making it sound. Um, it's just that it's unfortunate because those cases do make a lot of news coverage, and they showed videos of other Tesla uh, incidents. I and mean, that's, that's certainly not the only one. Uh, there was one in California. There was the one here in Delray Beach, Florida, that happened last year. So those also made the rounds of, of fatalities. But like anything, we, this has been bantered about a number of times. Every Tesla accident that involves in a fatality, even recently with the gentleman who crashed in the back of a police cruiser, uh, you know, that makes the news because, okay, you know, a car drives into a house, the person blames autopilot. Like, yes, that's going to continue happening. Um, but you don't, there's, if there was some other auto manufacturer that had some feature of something and, you know, all of a sudden now these trucks keep crashing into whatever, you go, well, you know, this Ford pickups got such and such. Like it's it, we're we're just we're now blaming technology for for accidents. And so it's it's just we investigate and we find out that's not the case. We we also know as owners that uh you know, autopilots improved tremendously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I mean, we just got another update and you know, now it does traffic light and stop line and stop sign um recognition. Allegedly. Um, that, well, yeah, well, I know. Yeah, that. we but don't it's, have it. Yeah, like it's like yeah. it's it's early days, right? Yeah. So, and and it's part of the suite. I mean, you can't have full autonomy without <laughs> recognition of what the lights and the traffic lights are doing, let alone yeah. a whole bunch of other things too. Yeah. So these are steps that they have to take in order to do it. And the way Tesla does it, as we know, is they put out a feature. They you know they test it internally. Then once they feel it's confident enough to send out to the fleet, they send it out. They gather the disengagements, and it goes back into uh, you know a. a, a a vicious loop of of um, of reiterating the, the data. The hamster wheel just, just keeps going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, um, and nobody else that I know on the market right now that has any kind of this level of autonomy cars has anything close that will do software updates like that. Um, all the cars on the market, even the Volvos that you buy, it's always going to be the way it is, as far as I understand. Anyways, I, I haven't seen any. I know somebody who has an S ninety and he has a lane keeping, but he's not taking it in for software updates. He, it doesn't exist on those cars. So those cars will always forever be what they are when you first buy them. I'm not saying that all of the electric cars will always be like that because we know right. that several manufacturers have announced plans to do software updates. How far they're going to take it, I don't know. There was another point, too. The gentleman from Zooks had made a point during the um, uh, the documentary. He says, well, we're largely, we feel that level three, which is the one where the car does everything, but it's supposed to alert the driver. Mm-hmm. We don't think that that is actually a tenable case. We don't think that it could ever be good enough for that. So they want to skip level three and go straight to level four, which is where the car absolutely does everything. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I think that's the right approach. I mean, I read a hell of a lot. Um, Jason Chorchinski from Jalopnik's book, uh, Robot Take the yeah. Wheel, was very enlightening on that. He interviewed a lot of people. He spoke to a lot of people in aviation who obviously have a huge amount uh, of invested time with autopilot systems and pilot, you know, ability to re-enter the control of the vehicle, you know, the plane, whatever it is. And there's a lot of studies that say that if you're disconnected from what the vehicle is doing for too long, it does take you an inordinate amount of time to regain control. So I think, and this goes back to your point earlier, Trevor, this might play back to Tesla strategy where they've gone back to, there's really two very different levels of autopilot. There's a basic um, autopilot, you know, the the sort of um, the EAP mode has is, is disappeared and now then you get to FSD. 
And I think those are the two sweet spots. If you maintain autopilot as a driver aid, we know statistically that that has uh, great results in, mm -hmm. uh, you know, reducing driver fatigue and eliminating or, or you know, uh, reducing the severity of accidents. Uh, but you, as the driver is engaged all the time, you don't have that long area where, you know, you can kind of wander off. So if used properly, and the MIT study supports this, you know, Lexus mm -hmm. study showed that uh, over 13,000 drivers using autopilot, for the most part, were pretty on the ball. And when they needed to intervene, they could. So I think Tesla's got that mix right with the current technology. And then after that, FSD, if it's what Elon says it is, we'll take you right to level four, level five. So in effect, Tesla's strategy, I think also, if you look at it that way, is to skip level three because that is kind of the the, the gray zone, you know, where you, there's there's a lot of risk. Yeah, you have to remember all the cars that they've been shipping over the last few years um, have the full hardware suite in the cars. So whether you pay for autopilot or not, they can still get the data out of the cars if they need to. So they right. have this massive fleet that can gather the data for them. I mean, if you look at the Zooks and the other guys, all they're doing is driving around San Francisco with, you know, a handful of cars with and doing LiDAR. And yeah. that's a topic for another day, or I yeah. don't know, we maybe can cover it here. I mean, Elon made a very good point, you know, last year before they introduced, um, you know, the Hardware 3 computer, is they want to travel down the harder path, which, which is doing everything through visually not lidar yeah. um and i agree with that in principle in the sense that we as drivers humans we only have these two senses right our two eyes largely for driving the cars have a much bigger sensor suite however and, and i think that is the right way to do it in the sense that if you can go down that harder path and get the cars to actually do everything visually and hence why they're training their systems why they have this new dojo thinking coming up and they got that more powerful computer i think they can actually lick that problem however it's not infallible we've all experienced we're in the middle of winter here i mean mm -hmm. you get salt on the cameras forget yeah. it you're not getting lane change anymore um, if you get snow in the front of the car and if it sticks, uh, God forbid, if you don't have a ceramic coating, even I have it on my car, sometimes the snow gets to the front, guess what? You lose the radar. And when you lose the radar, not only do you lose traffic where cruise control, you usually lose control, tra uh, cruise control completely. Yeah. So it, the vision-based system, while in principle is great, there are element, there are um, weather elements that can, that can really throw a wrench into things. Well, that's why so, I think I think long term we need to have and and some of this was tested too because they didn't just have lidar on the roof of the car, which is basically that spinning dome. They also had some combinations of different solutions. So I, ideally, and, and and Tesla made the 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 I call it a full faith jump uh, without the parachute to go into <laughs> an optical system. That's true. But but it, it, they may down the road go okay. Well, do we just build in warmers so that the cameras are always can be clear? You know, I for one on a wet moist day here in south florida all of a sudden get blind spot detection alerts because it can't see because one of the cameras is sort of obstructed so we know we know there's limitations even still i think if you if you get the machine learning part the ai part down to a science um and they can and they can get that right for level four level five autonomy then i think the little things the weather controlled uh conditions can be remedied through other solutions as long as the computer knows what to do once it sees it. So maybe there's a combination of the world, but I mean, I don't know. I, mean, I think there would have to be some redundancy in there. And we know that the hardware three computer has redundancy built into mm -hmm. it. I mean, that was one of the things that uh, on the documentary that they said, you know, one of the phys or one of the researchers said, you know, if the computer fails, you get the spinning wheel of death, right? Uh, your car stops. I mean, Tesla knows this was why the hardware three computer has two power supplies, two chips. I mean, and the computers are much like aviation where they vote against each other. And that's where the decisions are made. Right. But I'm saying that the hardware suite or the sensor suite, on the other hand, doesn't have enough redundancy in terms of the camera. Because, like I said, if you lose one of the side marker cameras, you can't get the auto, you know, you don't, you, you lose the lane changing. And then once they get to, you know, the robo taxi fleet, and let's say they got a bunch of these cars, I own five or six of the cars, and they're out running around, and all of a sudden one of the cameras gets obscured, who's going to go out there and wipe the camera off? You can't expect the drivers to do it. Exactly. Well, and that, but that's why I think, you know, for me, who was toying with the idea of getting FSD, I opted not to, because in due part, because I have zero idea if this is ever going to be a thing in the next 10 years. We, it's entirely plausible because of regulatory approval that we may not see FSD approved for a decade. It's entirely possible. 
I think it's possible, unlikely, but possible. Maybe, I mean, maybe not, but like, I mean, obviously the, the more companies like Mobileye, Zooks and others and Tesla that are doing all of this testing, like Tesla alone cannot be the arbiter of level four, level five autonomy. No, so, it's, it, it, so it's obviously good that there's competitors out there trying to do, uh, you know, get their share of the market, Waymo, Uber, you name them. I mean, they're all in the documentary. Um, but I, but I think it's imperative that we understand that it's going to take a substantial amount. I mean, the two test cases they referenced in the episode, especially the opening segment where they talked about the crash in Tempe, that's going to make regulatory approvers go time out. Just pump the brakes because they're going to say, right, you know, if you have a 98% uh, success rate in, in uh, control environment testing, wonderful. Now we've seen in road test cases, that number is not 98%. And my guess is that number has got to be 100% solid before they even consider signing off the possibility of living level four vehicles on the road. And that may well, not be... I, I, I don't, 100% is too much. I mean, you're, you're going to be chasing nines here at this point. You're going to have it. to be it's nine, levels nine, of nine, nines. Nine, nine, nine. Exactly. Yeah. That's what they yeah. Yeah. How many levels of nines can you chase, right? Yeah. So it can never be 100%. It's just not possible. I, I have complete faith that Tesla has the hardware suite and the know-how and certainly the data capable, uh, mm -hmm. data gathering capabilities to achieve level four, level five. My only fear is with the hardware we currently have, it's the, the camera's lack of ability to self-clean. I just thought that was a, that's a bit of a miss. I, the fact that there's no washer nozzles in any of the cameras, because you can heat them. Like the one in the windshield is heated. Like I've come mm -hmm. out to my car, there's a foot of snow on it. There's this little square where the cameras the are. get warm enough too. Yeah, they can warm themselves. Thing is, but salt buildup, it, that just makes it worse because when you evaporate all the water, you're left with this opaque white salt film. And at some point, even with the best AI, it's not going to be able to see through this cataract-like, you know, coating of salt. That's <laughs> true. You, you need like liquid washing. And the back of the car, like, I mean, in a heavy snowstorm rolling down the highway here in Quebec, there's huge, because of the drafts in the back of the car, it, it sticks, sticks snow. to the car. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like after a rally, I got six inches of snow welded to the back of my car. Like yeah. heating will take away some of that. But they're going to need some type of a liquid washing system. They have to do something. I'm in the habit of 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 trying to remember when I get on the car before I get out there if the weather's been foul or whatever to just go around and just lick, yeah, not lick them, but you know, just usually we all do it and just, and just <laughs> clean it off, right? So yeah, 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 exactly. So you know, I don't know if it's a case of you know Tesla being California, you know Florida, you know weather's nice and stuff. You don't really get salt on the road, but salt's a problem. I mean, it's not just that's dirt and stuff. Well, mud, so, mud too. People on dirt roads yeah, or very exactly. muddy areas are going to experience the exact same thing. You have exactly. to have some way to wash the cameras. Now, I I don't doubt that they have future plans. I mean, they've kind of let the cat out of the bag. They're already working on hardware for computer or whatever the heck they want to call it. They got new chips that they're working on. So this is not an end to um you know what they're working on i'm sure the sensor suite's going to keep getting better this is not this is not fully baked yet um, it could be retrofit right i mean yeah you want to see how hard full self-driving is just go and use smart summon that damn thing is so timid it's almost useless <laughs> so <laughs> so anyways it's a hard nut to crack they got a lot of work ahead of it um even though it may be feature complete internally um, absolutely. Letting it out to the world for testing and regulatory approval is still going to take uh, several, several years for this. To, uh, and I, and I want to I want to stress this again. If you really if you were if you haven't seen this, try to find a way to watch it. It really does make you think, especially if you're a Tesla owner. It really lets you into the world of how hard this all really is. I mean, yep. so so much accolade is, has to be given to all these various teams, the collegiate teams who've done the, the, you know, the urban challenge test with DARPA and, uh, you know, even now with how real production vehicles and how ha they're handling things. I mean, you, it's hard to say an auto commercial now for some autonomous feature where someone like Volvo offers this, Ford's got this, I mean, Subaru's got this, Tesla has, like, yeah, you're going to see that all these vehicles now have some kind of a smart technology and a Cadillac is a big promoter of that too. Um, but it's, it shows you just how far we've come in a very large span of time and just how far we still have yet to go. Yeah, literally every car manufacturer has some kind of plan. Some are known, some are not. Um, mm -hmm. The ones that were in this documentary are not necessarily manufacturers. They're just, you know, the Googles and the Waymos and stuff um, that are working on that. So anyways, it's still an interesting subject. Um, we're heavily married to Tesla at this point, so they seem to be still the leader as far as deployments as mm -hmm. are concerned because nobody else has anything of that type of caliber that Tesla's putting out. But anyways, we'll keep an eye on it. 
Um, I have a hard out at a certain time here, guys, so I think we should... Um, questions! Yeah, let's dump into questions here. Uh, I want to say thank you for everybody for submitting the questions. Uh, once again, just want to remind you that when we do the podcast the day of, or sometimes the day before, depending on timing, we put out. I put out a tweet asking for people to submit questions via the Google form. So if that's something, if you're new to the channel, new to the podcast, and you want to participate in that, make sure you follow me on Twitter. The handle is at Model3Owners, and uh, watch for that tweet so that you can submit your questions. All right, first one comes in from Ken. He says, will the swap to 3.0, he's talking about uh, Hardware 3 Autopilot Computer, require a trip to the service center, or is this something that a mobile ranger can perform? Now, we answered that last week, so we'll answer it again today. If you have a Model 3, yes, because it is a liquid-cooled computer system as part of the uh, waste heat scavenging system that they do to recover heat, to heat the car and the power electronics. Uh, if you have a Model S or a Model X, it can be done by mobile. The longest part of the install is the software update that it has to take. Uh, I've been told by some service technicians it can take about a couple hours to do. Speaking of which, I should just mention that uh, Little Birdie told me that um, some service centers are starting to receive Hardware 3 upgrade computers for Model 3. They've been doing it now for a little while for S and X. Um, also, I was also told, make sure do, do if you've bought FSD and you're going to get the computer upgrade for free in your Model 3, do not call the service center asking when it can happen. Uh, the, you will be put into a queue. They will call you. So it's basically a case, don't call us, we'll call you. So anyways, just want to put that out there so that everybody understands that that is starting to happen. All right. Uh, let's see here. Next question comes from Just the Air, and he says, uh, what are your thoughts on the CBC Nationals' latest three-part EV segment? They seem to keep ignoring the market leader, sure. Tesla, and focus heavily on traditional manufacturers. The CBC is government-funded, so I don't fully understand why he's standoff why there's a standoffish nature talking around Tesla's accomplishments and merits. Um, yes, I have been watching it. Um, they're definitely better than they have been in the past because before it was just like, oh, you can't go anywhere. They're slowly changing yeah. their tune. Why they're ignoring Tesla? I don't know. Um, again, I think in a lot of ways, some of the media still focus on the fact that, oh, Tesla's are a $100,000 car. Nobody can afford them. Here's Hyundai. It's 40000 bucks or whatever. Um, so anyways, I don't know if it's part of that. Um, although they did go to, you know, uh, an EV meet locally here, and there's plenty of Teslas around. So I don't know. Um, they And they had the chance, you know, Trev, because they had um, Jeff Don on there from um, Dalhousie University, who is Mr. like lithium-ion genius, right? He's 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 like basically leading the yeah. charge at Tesla. Yeah, you also have to charge. remember oh, that. That should have been an Eric one. <laughs> you also have to remember that Jeff, even though he's under contract from Tesla, I don't think he has any authorization to talk about anything that they're doing at Tesla or even infer that he's working with Tesla. Oh, okay. Well, then that would explain it. Right? So he's probably he has like, to be super careful about Tesla. That. Who's, who's Tesla? Well, I don't think, I. you know, he, he would, I mean, if he was asked directly, he would just say, yeah, well, you know, it's, yeah, can't really talk about that. Anyways, that's just my opinion. All right, uh, next question is from James. He says, this one's for Ian. Uh, I'd like to soften up the suspension on the Model 3. Uh, what would this entail? <laughs> As you know, the roads in Quebec are really bad. Well. Yes, they are bad. Uh, there's two things. Have an hour to spare. <laughs> oh nice um no this is an actual easy one to answer change your springs and and shocks for you know softer units uh unfortunately in the aftermarket we tend to go the other way uh, anybody who makes accessory springs you know aftermarket performance companies tends to make them shorter and stiffer trying to find a a taller or softer spring is really difficult what so... about the coilovers from mountain pass performance that's a possibility. We, you know, uh, Sasha, Sasha Ennis from Mountain Pass Performance would be a great guy uh, to reach out to because his kits are somewhat modular. He might be able to locate, you know, a softer rate spring because it's a fairly universal size and build you a custom kit that would he, have a softer showed, rate. I went to see a shop and he showed me them. They mm -hmm. have an adjustment screw on the top. They drill a little small hole. Yep. And um, you just put an Allen key in there and you can just dial them in. Well, it's true. I mean, short of... Yeah. yeah. Well, there's two components to it. When, when you're talking about a softer, there's two things that control the firmness of the ride. There's the spring itself, which has a preload rate. 
exactly. So you can preload it, you can make it shorter, you can do whatever. So the, the spring has a certain stiffness in it. And then there's the shock damping. So that's the little oil passages that control the, the rebound. motion, the rebound. Well, there's compression damping, which is like spring. And then there's rebound, which is when it bounces back up. So by adjusting the shock, you can make that motion softer or you can make it really firm and kind of jerky. And you generally want to tune that ideally to match the spring that you have. But there's a certain range. And I know on, on Sasha's, he was saying there's a huge range of comfort possible. So maybe by taking sashes and running them at the softest damping settings, you'd get something close to what you're looking for. But uh, yeah, ideally you'd want both a softer spring and a softer shock. Reach out to Mountain Pass. Maybe they can hook you up with what you're looking for. I'm going to throw one more in there because I did see something. Um, if you contact Mojo in Florida at his his website, you can reach him as Wrap My Signature Custom Wraps. Signature Custom Wraps. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, they put air suspension in one of the Model 3s. Mm. They rigged something up. I've seen it in one of the videos. Actually, our friend um, Tesla Tino there, it's at Raphael, went to one of the shows and he had a shot of the front trunk, and they put a compressor in there and a bunch of other stuff. So if you want air suspension, looks like there's a way to do it. I don't know how much it would cost, but um, that's one way. There's some kind of air suspension True. system. Good. And, and I know that Tesla said that, you know, maybe they might add it to Model 3. I don't think they're going to add it to Model 3 at this point. But um, anyways, that's a possibility. But I think probably a good set of coilovers or something like that, something that's adjustable. Mountain Pass would be the first place I would talk to anyways. Um, let's see here. Uh, 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 we talked about FSD. Renee submitted a question. Um, he's talking about the edge cases of FSD and stuff. So we'll kind of skip that question because we kind of addressed it here during the show. Um, let's see here. Anthony, Anthony, he says, I've been waiting 14 weeks for my Model 3. I'm based in the UK. Zero feedback from Tesla on when the car will be delivered. Originally promised delivery in two to 12 weeks. Why can't Tesla communicate to folks who have put down sizable deposits? Where is the sales support service? Yes, where have we heard this before? Um, yeah, sadly to say, um, the number one... Uh, look, I'll, I'll say it to you right now, Anthony. The cars are awesome. You're going to love it. Tesla's communications still needs a lot of work. Um, you also have to remember, now I don't know when you ordered. You say 3 to 12 weeks. When I ordered my car, it said 2 weeks. And I thought, okay, it took me 7 when Tesla switches to the start of a quarter, they build European and Chinese cars first because those take the longest to get the transit mm -hmm. uh, to be delivered by the end of a quarter because that's what matters to Tesla. They want to deliver every car that they possibly can. So they send out those cars out to the furthest reaches first and then towards the middle, towards the latter part of a quarter, they switch to North American production because it's easier to ship those out overland uh, loose by. So unfortunately, you didn't tell us exactly when um, well, 14 weeks, that puts us when, uh, anybody got a calculator? Well, I, I also want to just make this clear how much money you put down doesn't matter because when you drive the car from, when you take the car from Tesla, the car is paid in full. Yeah. So if you put, if you put 5,000 down or $50,000 down, you have to pay the car in full to take the car anyway. Um, I, I understand where he's coming from. This is a story that's been repeated thousands upon thousands of times even i had a delay in delivery of my car i was mm -hmm. told it was gonna be sometime earlier than what it was it was delayed by about a week and a half not a huge deal um the the, the only thing i think it really is a problem for some owners is if you're looking to do a trade uh if there's some time sensitive component to the transaction that like well i need to have this done before i can do this other thing i get that um, but oftentimes, like if you, if you have a representative who's been in contact with you through Tesla, uh, who's sort of guiding you through the process of your Delivery paperwork, specialist. right. If, if well, not even that, even just, even just the, the operators, like I talked to somebody who was based out in Las Vegas, who prior to delivery at my service center had been in touch with me, like, hi, Eric, you know, I'm Erica from Tesla and this whole entire thing. So that was a person I could reach out to, and I even had their direct number, and I can call her and leave a voicemail and say, hey, I'm just calling to see how things are going. Is the delivery date still on target? Uh, are there any delays? Anything? So they often will not preempt themselves to contact you. They, um, I know there are applications Tesla uses internally to sort of denote conversations, make notes, uh, you, know, you know, if they have to bump a, a, a matter up to a, a higher officer, things like that, they can do that. Um, but I think, I think it's important to understand that you are among tens of thousands of people on a daily basis waiting for delivery of a car. Uh, if you have someone who's already been in touch with you who sent you an email, something about your delivery, just reach out to that person and say, hey, look, I'm just, I'm just, it's been a little bit longer than expected. I haven't heard anything. Um, just 
you're in the same boat as a lot of folks. I've been in that boat before. So it's it's just it's not that big a deal. You know, if it's three to 12 weeks and it's now been 14, I get it. It's like ordering from Amazon. I was told three days. It's been five. Like shit happens. OK, <laughs> yeah. but but at least at least be understanding that there might be some actual reason. Uh, Tesla just may not be vocal to tell you what that reason is. Yeah, you have to be proactive with them. I've noticed that yeah. um, you can't just sit back. You can't just sit there and hope that they call you and give you updates because that's not the way Tesla works. You have to be on top of them. You got to keep bugging them. Squeaky wheel um, gets the grease. Yeah, exactly. Um, however, there is maybe there's some saving grace, Anthony, because uh, we're coming to the end of a third, uh, the fourth quarter, and Tesla wants to deliver every car that they that's can. That's true, right? So uh, maybe you might get a nice Christmas present. Who knows? So yeah, or, all or the or best Hanukkah. to you. We want to yeah. some more oh, Well, yes, okay. Yeah. We can't. Well, yeah, we can't make any assumptions here. So, yes, uh, best of luck to you. Keep us in the loop. If you I mean, if you get your car, we'd love to uh, to hear from you. I might have two very close friends of mine right now that are waiting on their cars with bated breath. One of them has a delivery date that was delayed by three days, and the other one is. Um, I have to. I have to touch base with him and see whether he's getting his car. But he was. Uh, he was delayed to the end of December. So obviously they want to deliver every car that they can. And then All you right, get well, a referral code that you get to use to other people. So they that's right, owners baby. Too. Yeah, I hope you. Uh, yeah, I hope you guys, if you're ordering cars, use somebody's referral code. Get yourself some of that free supercharging. It's awesome. All right, last question of the evening comes from Eric. He says, as evidenced by the recent autopilot accident, where the Tesla service vehicle rear-ended the police vehicle. Uh, will Tesla? Yes. Will Tesla eventually be adding the capability to detect and react to stop vehicles once path? I had this happen to me t- uh, today, where I had to take over and manually stop my car because my Model Three on autopilot didn't seem like it was going to stop for a car completely stopped ahead of me um, at a stoplight. Um, yeah, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the latest software update that's gone out uh, to most of the fleet now is 2019.40.2.1. And um, other than Canada, um, we don't have the stoplight and the stop sign detection. So at this point, um, I'm not really willing to risk my life to see whether it sees a car in front of me to be able to stop in front. But again, remember, these are not fully autonomous vehicles. They're not, uh, you know, you're supposed to be the safety driver. So be attentive. As uh, I mean, I think it's something that's going to be coming in due time it's just a matter of where in the priority list is this uh, is this coming so the autonomous special that we talked about this episode showed videos of crashes just like that yep. and if there's exactly. one thing we've preached on this show time and time again is don't ever assume the computer knows okay you're behind the wheel of the car if you are in an accident like that you are responsible Period, end of case, shut the fridge, shut the front door. I don't care. It's that's it. That's it. So I I get it. Like, I mean, people want to have that experience. And I'm sitting here going, listen, I've been behind my car and I hear that and I'm already slowing down because the car is doing the calculation in its own computer brain that you may not be able to stop in time. I'm alerting you of the potential disaster. And that's with a car in front of me that I know is stopped or at least is almost at a complete stop on traffic or whatever. And I've yet to have a, a really, really close call. So it, I, I've never experienced that where there's a car like dead stop in front of me that I'm like, oh, I don't see it. Let's see if AP does it. No, I'm going, no, I'm no, going to, no. I'm going to decelerate here just because I feel like it may or may not do it. You never know. There could be some environmental condition. A camera's not covered. There's a shadow effect. I'm under a bridge. Who knows? And it may not do it. So until, un- until we're at level four, level five, folks, hey, Always slow down your car. Don't think the car's going to do I it. I only you. use autopilot when I know that uh, traffic is fairly light. I don't trust it in uh, heavy traffic. The other day we had a very bad day, like full-on fog, like almost couldn't see outside. I mean, mm-hmm. pff, you, you're, you're to bet I'm not going to be using autopilot. I mean, I have used yeah. autopilot in light fog before. As long as it sees the lines, it's pretty okay. But if I can't see, um, I know there's radar in the car and it sees quite well and stuff, but I, you know, if I can't see it, I don't trust it enough. And I don't, and we don't know if that guy was uh, paying attention or not. I mean, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but if he wasn't, then that's why the crash happened because he put too much faith in the computer to do it for him. Right. And he's looking at his phone, his iPad, he's, you know, playing with his dog in the backseat. I mean, who knows what he was doing? Um, but yeah, like it's when these accidents happen, I largely think that's the result of the human not paying attention. It's not all the time. For sure. Distracted driving is a real thing. It's a major problem. Major problem. It's it's a major, major problem. I always put my phone down in the cubby and I stop. I mean, I get my podcast going and that's the end of it. I don't touch my phone. Do not disturb. That's just me though. Yeah. All right. Well, 
I think that brings us to the end of the show. And uh, since Ian hasn't had a lot to say tonight, unfortunately, not that we have, maybe it's because we didn't give him much of an edge. For but one then. time, <laughs> I'm talking about springs. And of course, you know, Mr. Hogg, the show here is like, ooh, let's let him go. No, 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 that's okay. okay. All right, Ian, you go first. Where do you want to plug tonight? Before we um, kick just the usual here? stuff. You can find me on Twitter, uh, at Ian Pavelko, um, at um, Tesla Owners Online Forum. The Mad Hungarian is the handle. And, of course, as Mr. Camacho is kindly, kindly demonstrating, and this is why I love him, the uh, <laughs> Weapons of Mass Adoption shirt is currently what's being featured here. Um, and Turn around, you can Eric. Find that, yes, and, of course, the backside of that would be there yeah, we go, baby. The Model Three sign. So you can you can find that, and of course the whole Evolve Wear shirt, which now includes the Model Y and perhaps soon to be a Cybertruck. Keep oh yes, the Cybertruck. You can find all of those fine things at teespring.com. T e e spring.com. Look in the show notes. I'm sure Mr. Um, Page will put that up for us. Oh, uh, so go to teespring.com and look up Mad Hungarian and Evolve Wear, and you will find that. Awesome. Thank you, Ian. How about you, Eric? What do you want to plug? Uh, Times of the Essence. Twitter.com forward slash ecfx. Have a good day. <laughs> Thank you, Eric, and thank you for taking all those wonderful short notes on that wonderful documentary. Again, I will put uh, yes, and um, like I said, I'll put uh, links down to as many places I can find that you can look at this legally. We will not, uh, ad, you know, admonish anybody. Why the quote marks? That's not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Canada, and I'm looking at the PBS site, and it says this video is not available in your area. Screw you. Can I just jump in for 10 seconds? How I'm Please actually watching the show again because I wanted to see it is uh, if you get one of these uh, IP address emulator things that will m show you as being. Oh, the blessed. DNS spoofing. Yeah. yeah. Or the VPN. Exactly. One of these VPN. We're not sponsored by NordVPN, by the way. We're not. <laughs> if you get one of those, you can then sign up with any of the affiliate PBS stations. Just $5 for a month, and you can watch any of the shows. And there you go. You know, it goes to a good cause, uh, yes. Eric's point. So that, that's what I would recommend. Great okay. content. There you go. All right, so if you want to follow me, check it out on Twitter. The handle's at Model3Owners. Uh, don't forget, we have a lively forum at teslaownersonline.com, and you can find me on there if you want to follow me. The handle's Trev P. And, um, yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, today is uh, December 11th, is it not? Today's the last day if you want to get some shirts off uh, our Teespring site there, the Tesla Owners one, um, that will ship out in time for the holidays. If it doesn't matter to you, well, you know, order whenever you want. I've got a whole bunch of new stuff in there. Anyways, that's it for tonight, and uh, we will see you on the next one. Thanks for watching, guys, and we'll see you later. Aloha means goodbye. Bonsoir tout le monde.